Well, good morning. I got to change out my glasses so I could read the words, but y'all remain fuzzy, so that's good. I think I remember where y'all sat. Please take your Bibles and turn to Isaiah 41, and I'll be reading out of verse 10. Isaiah 41, verse 10. Everybody there, amen? amen. All right. Isaiah 41, 10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. May God add his blessing to his word. Heavenly Father, we are before you today, having worshiped and lifted up our hearts to you, Lord. We come now before your presence, before your word, before your authority, before your power. And pray, Father God, that as we study your word this morning, You will not only illuminate it in our hearts, but write it upon our hearts. So that when we face fearful situations, Lord, we stand on your word. And it delivers. And so, Father, I just ask your blessing to be upon this day, this sermon, and your word in Jesus' name. In life, we may find ourselves in fearful situations. Contained within Isaiah's word here in the prophecies from chapters 40 through 66, we see God providing his people Israel and Judah with comfort and encouragement in the words of Isaiah because soon they will be put into exile due to their fallen nature, their worshiping of idols, and their disobedience to God. And when that occurs, it would be a great time of fear. They'll no doubt have feelings of abandonment because they are God's people. They'll no doubt feel like they're helpless as God has always helped them. And no doubt they would also feel hopeless. In life, we may find ourselves in similar circumstances where we face a fearful situation that makes us feel all alone, makes us feel extremely helpless, and makes us feel as if there is no hope. Unfortunately, life will give us these situations where the spirit of fear will overcome us and it will become a debilitating force. Whether it be finances, whether it be relationships, whether it be poor decisions on our part, or self-inflicted wounds, or consequences of life, fear can take the opportunity to enter into our hearts and adversely affect our person and our spirit in ways that can be debilitating our health, 
and our faith. This morning, I want to share with you a very powerful scripture. God provided Israel and Judah through the prophet Isaiah who would face future fearful circumstances in their own lives. Although obviously it's an Old Testament scripture, this verse is as relevant to us today as it was to the original hearers in Israel. And we can receive from its exhortations. We can receive from its promises that will aid us in overcoming the spirit of fear when it comes knocking at our door. Now, in the initial examination of this verse, we see twin exhortations and three distinct promises from God to help us stand in the face of fear. Let's look at the first exhortation. Fear not, for I am with you. From the very beginning of God's encouragement to those that will be put in exile, and to us as well, we are not to fear. The Hebrew word for fear used by Isaiah means both reverence and fright. And the specific use here in this verse means to be fearful, to be dreadful, to be feared, or to be afraid. Within God's word, the phrase fear not, especially in the ESV, is cited 33 specific times, which kind of tells us that the importance of what God is exhortating to us is to not fear, and that God's desire is for us not to fear. The first recording of fear, I don't know if you're like me, I go, okay, where did it first occur? The first recording of fear happened in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3, verse 10, where Adam and Eve partook of the forbidden fruit and then hid themselves from God because they were afraid. For the first time, the fall of man in the garden generated a great many adverse effects. And one of them being was the searing of man's consciousness, where he now holds fear in his heart because the relationship between God and man was severed. And with it, the intrinsic trust and security that man had with God from the very beginning. You see, when sin entered the relationship, it produced a frailty within man, where fear now questions at times the reality of God's mercy, God's provision, and God's security. Have you ever been there? I have. Faith, trust, and hope were now sought after things. as to be possessed or possessed or to receive from the Lord, which before that, the fall of man, they were natural elements of our relationship with the Father. And as a result of that, we can all experience the spirit of fear. Now, fear is one of those words that has a depth of meaning and application we need to take special note of. On the one hand, we are to fear God, which is the beginning of wisdom, as Scripture tells us. Yet we are also commanded not to fear, and it sounds like a contradiction. So let's examine that a little bit further. First, we are commanded to fear the Lord our God, which is, as we're told in Scripture, the beginning of wisdom. 
It is a reverential fear that we are to have with God. A fear of awe and of majesty. A fear of worship. But it's also a fear of judgment. For we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, as Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6-10. And Jesus himself said this, And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. Within today's evangelical church, I fear we downplay the fear of God and focus more on the friendships and the blessings. As a result, this can produce a relationship where we take grace in vain, which we're commanded not to do. And we live this Christian life loosely and at times without any fear of accountability. Yes, God loves us and desires only the best for us, but He's also a God of accountability. And He will discipline those whom He loves. That is why it's the beginning of wisdom, because when we have a healthy fear of God, we are more accountable for our daily actions, and we make wiser decisions as it relates to that which is right and that which is wrong. In essence, we're more obedient to God and what He calls us to do. But at the same time, we are commanded not to fear that which is not of God whether circumstances or evil, whether fate or self-induced, we are commanded not to fear because when we fear, we are failing to put our full trust in the Lord. We are failing to trust in His provisions. We are failing to trust in His promises. When we fear that which is not of God, faith is sacrificed on the altar of circumstances and reasoning and instinct become are now refuge. We forget who is our deliverer and our refuge and our strength and our hope in a time of need and we run to the former rather than to him. That is why the phrase fear not is used so many times in God's word because God understands what fear does. It has the potential of driving us away from him. So it is as we face. So it is what we face determines whether we are to fear or not fear. We are to fear the Lord, but not the circumstances of this world. And why are we not to fear? Because he says, I am with you. I am with you. From the very beginning, God chooses. God chose to create the earth. God chose to create man. God chose to create Abraham to be the father of nations and establish a covenant for a people and a promised land. He chose Moses to deliver his people from Egypt and establish a covenant in the law. He chose David to be the king and a covenant with him that would produce the king of kings, Jesus Christ our Lord. And he also finally chose a new covenant through that new king, Jesus Christ one that would bring forth new life, one that would bring forth forgiveness, one that would bring forth reconciliation to God the Father. God chooses. If we get this wrong, we get it all wrong. 
Our theology of who he is and why he is and what he does hinges on the understanding that he chooses. Why is this important to grasp in relationship with, I am with you? Because when we understand he chose us and he chose his people, Israel and Judah, then we will understand that God cannot go back on his word. He cannot nullify his covenant. Thus his presence will never leave us. Listen to Deuteronomy 31.8. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear. Do not be dismayed. This is reinforced in the New Testament when Paul says this, nor depth, nor height, or excuse me, no height, nor depth, I was dyslexic there, nor depth, no height, I did it again, no height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. He chose you. He's committed to you. He will always be with you. Now, there's a reason why God speaks this promise, and it's because God knows what fear does, and this is one of the things that fear does. It creates a sense of abandonment and isolation. Just where the enemy wants you. The reason I believe this is the case is because fear is not only a human emotion. It is a spiritual one as well. And it reaches to the very depths of our soul where we are reminded of our frailty. And the only solace we have is God himself. No spouse, no friend, no counselor, no pastor can reach this depth. Only God. Only God. They can help you and guide you and lead you, but only God can go to that depth in your spirit. In fact, that is what we really want when we face a fearful situation and we fear isolated, isn't it? All we want is God himself. All of our sufficiency within ourselves is gone. Our hope in the world is shattered. Our strength weakened. Only God, only God can minister in that area. And because he promises, I am with you, he is there for you. In fact, he's never left you. Even though we may be driven away from God by the spirit of fear, he never leaves you. We do. He's always present, always waiting for you to turn to him. That's just not me saying it. That's just not fancy words in a book from Isaiah. That is a promise from God. It is a promise. God chooses. He chose you. He chose me. And because he chose us, we are his forever. Bound by his covenant. Bound by his promises. That he will always be there for us. Fear may make us feel alone. Abandoned. As a result of our circumstances. But never forget. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. The second exhortation in Isaiah 41.10 is, be not dismayed, for I am your God. The phrase, be not dismayed, means to see, means to look. It means to 
be afraid and look for the next threat that might be coming. In a state of alarm or distress. This is an interesting statement from God as he relays it through Isaiah because isn't it instinctive to look for danger? Isn't it part of our senses to sense a threat? Isn't it healthy to be aware of preventing a possible destruction that might occur? Isn't it a natural sense and quite acceptable and some would say quite necessary to have an awareness about you so that, you know, if you're out in the middle of the street, you don't get hit by a car? I think it's important to understand that God is not commanding us to be careless or unwise in the face of fear that can harm us. What this phrase really means is to be calm in the face of a fearful situation. To be calm in the face of a fearful situation. Panic generates rash and impulsive decisions. Anxiety can paralyze you when God is calling you to move. And a purely reactive nature, as we learned throughout the Old Testament, can lead to destruction. God commands us to face fear with a calmness and a state of peace by trusting in Him and by being empowered by His Holy Spirit. Listen to what Paul says. For God gave us spirit not a for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love. And that one little element we keep forgetting whenever we quote that scripture, self-control. I recall a story of a missionary in Mongolia. And he was accused of a crime by which the sentence held a 10-year sentence in prison. Now, I don't know too much about Mongolian prisons, but I'm pretty sure that's probably not where you ever want to go. The missionary had a decision to make. Stay and fight these false accusations or flee the country. The men, the Mongolian men that this man was ministering to encouraged him to leave because the U.S. doesn't have extradition agreement with Mongolia. So as long as he never returned, he would never be punished under the crime. So the man turned to the Lord, and he prayed, and he found strength, he found comfort, and he found peace, and he stayed. And even in the midst of a corrupt judicial system in Mongolia, he fought the charges, and God delivered him, and he was found not guilty. As a result of that, God was given the glory He was emboldened to continue to serve the people of Mongolia. The Mongolian men that he was ministering to, seeing firsthand God's deliverance, which has strengthened them. This is what it means to be calm in the face of fear. Our Lord Jesus Christ was also calm in the face of fear. Look at his interactions with Pontius Pilate, the Sanhedrin, the ruling body. Look how he embraced the cross with hope and joy, knowing of the work he was going to do for you and me. How he hung on the cross and cried out, God forgive them for they know not what they do. Calmness under the spirit of fear. That's what the Lord gives you. That's what he provides you. And why? Because I am your God. Because I am your God. 
From the very beginning of creation, God has desired man to only worship him. But since the fall of man, we have constantly sought after other gods. That song, prone to wander. Why? Because we have a fallen nature. As early as Jacob, God's people were commanded not to follow after other gods. Israel, now facing exile, was no different, for they failed to put away the idols. And it's going to result in judgment from God and being exiled to the Babylonians. But even that's for a good purpose, and that is to draw them back to him. Why then does man seek after other gods and forsake God the Father? Why do we do that? I don't know if you do. I look at that and I go, why did you do that? I think the answer lies in the fact that we are created in the image and likeness of God. Therefore, we are created to do something, and that something is worship. And in the absence of worshiping the true God, God Jehovah, we will worship something else. We will find something else to worship because we are made to do that. But what about those that are Christians? What about those that have a relationship with God? Why do they? That makes sense for those that don't have a faith in Christ. But what about those that do? Why do we still chase after idols? And understand that idol today is not a golden image. It's not a carved out piece of wood. It could be money, status, power, security, property, or anything else that we worship more than God. So why then would a Christian do that? I think we can glean the answer from Scripture because from the time of Levi, who went to Egypt, and the time of Moses, who delivered them, do you know what happened? They forgot God. They forgot the God of Abraham. They forgot the God of Isaac. They forgot the God of Jacob. And as a result... They gravitated to the idols of the land. We can do the same thing. When we put God on a shelf and we have a concept of God, but not a living faith in God, depending upon Him, trusting in Him, we will then focus on other things in this world and we will put our faith and trust in them. We can even be our own idols. You know another interesting thing about fear I want to share with you this morning? Fear will reveal an idol that has yet to be torn down. Fear will reveal an idol that has yet to be torn down. I want to read to you Jeremiah 26. Jeremiah 2, um, verses 26 through 28. I was going to move around, Todd. You told me not to do that. Okay. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 26. As a thief is shamed when caught, so the house of Israel shall be shamed. They, their kings, their officials, their priests, and their prophets, who say to a tree, you are my father, and to a stone you gave me birth. For they have turned their back to me, and not their face. But in the time of their trouble, they say, arise and save us. But where are your gods that you made for yourself? Let them arise, if they can save you in time of trouble. For as many as your cities are your gods, O Judah. 
Let me ask you a question. When fear strikes, where does your hope go? Is your hope in money? Is your hope in your retirement account? My coworker said one day, he goes, have you looked at your TSP? I said, yes, one time I did, and it scared the living bejesus out of me, and I haven't looked back. Markets are volatile. Money is volatile. Our trust in the Lord is not. Is your hope in your career? Is your hope in who you are? Is your hope in your property? Is your hope in your business? I think we all struggle with some of these. In fact, Jesus says we have the propensity to do that because he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Where is your treasure? Unfortunately, we may not even know we're doing it. We may not even know we have established an idol until fear or we are questioned reveal it. Think of the rich young ruler who wanted to understand and have an understanding and a security of salvation and asked Jesus those questions. And finally, Jesus said, go and sell all you have and come and follow me. And he left away sorrowful because he had much. Jesus revealed his idol. This was a religious man who was seeking a deeper deeper understanding, and yet God revealed an idol that stood between him and God. When we face a fearful situation, and it reveals an idol we may have neglected to put away, confess your sin before the Lord. Put that idol away and put your full trust in the Lord. With the exhortations being addressed and examined, let's now look at the three distinct promises that we find in Isaiah 41.10. Now, before we examine these three promises, please take note that the promises begin with, I will. That phrase denotes not only a promise, but a distinctive statement of commitment, leaving no doubt that God will act. I will. And I think it's important for us to understand that. So let's take a look at the first, I will. I will strengthen you. I will strengthen you. You know what fear creates in addition to what I've already addressed? It creates weakness. In fact, in its basic essence, it is weakness. It weakens because there's no hope in fear. There's no security in fear. There's no refuge in fear. And there's no assurance in fear. President Roosevelt says all we have to fear is fear itself. That's a very true statement. It plays upon our insecurities. It plays upon our anxieties within us. And and it eats away at us at times like a cancer. Spiritually, it attacks our faith. It creates doubt and forgets every promise or everything that God has done in your life. This is what Israel was going to experience. They will lose all hope 
They will lose all strength. They will forget who their God was. And that is why Isaiah is writing this prophecy. To encourage them and to strengthen them. And it is for us in the same way. Because we can succumb to the same effects. In the face of fear, we can quench the very Spirit of God. See, quenching the Holy Spirit is not only sin, but if you do not obey God, if you do not put your trust in God, it will quench His Spirit. And we'll become weakened physically and spiritually. And in those times, we need to cry out to God. We need to pray to God. We need to call upon His name for deliverance, to strengthen us. And He will do that in two ways. First, He will strengthen you physically. Philippians 4.13 says, I could do all things through Him who strengthens me. Many a times, my physical health... You know, when, when fear comes... It creates anxiety, it creates stress, and it can create depression. Those are all physical ailments that rob you of your strength. It depletes your immune system, and you're now more susceptible to sickness. But if we rely upon the Lord, He will strengthen you physically. He will give you the strength to do that which he's called you to do. You may think you don't have the strength to do it, but God will give you that strength. I've experienced it several times in my life where I just didn't feel like I had enough strength to do something, and yet he strengthened me to do it. But he will also strengthen you spiritually. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 through 16 says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant to you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. He will strengthen you spiritually. And when you face the spirit of fear, that is exactly what you need. You see, our strength lies with God and no other. And the strength he provides is just not in times of fear, but in every area of our life that is full of weakness. Listen to Paul. For the sake of Christ then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am made strong. In your weakness, God will strengthen you. That's what he does because he knows you. He knows you're frail. He knows you're prone to sin. He knows that you're prone to wander. But when we call upon him in the face of fear, battling the spirit of fear, he will strengthen you physically and remove that stress, and he will strengthen you spiritually to renew your faith. And you know why he will do that? Because from apart from him, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. And in in him, we can do far more exceedingly. We can do far more exceedingly in him. The The second promise. I will help you. I will help you. It doesn't say, well, I'll see what I can do. It doesn't say, if I got time, you know what? I'll encourage you. I'll cheer you on. 
No, he says, I will help you. That's another fact of fear. It makes you feel helpless. Ever been there? I have. Not only does fear isolate and weaken our strength, it makes us feel as if no one can help, we're on our own, and we're just going to have to fix it. Or we curl up in a ball and say, I can't do this. Throughout Israel's history, God has always helped and delivered His people. Every battle won, every protection provided, every deliverance was given to him by Elohim Ozer Li, the Hebrew name for God my helper. No matter how many times his people strayed and found themselves in defeat or his future exile, God will always help. He will always he will always hear their cries and always respond. And the reason he does this goes back to what I was saying earlier, because he's made a covenant with you. And if that's not enough, it's because he loves you. He created you. You're precious to him. And he will always respond. You know, it's the same for us as well. Elohim Ozir Lee is our helper as well. In fact, Elohim Ozir Lee lies within us because of Christ. Listen to John 16, 17. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for I do not go away. If I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. The helper will not come to you. Elohim Ozir Lee is now in you in the power of the Holy Spirit. And he will help you in every area of your life to include battling the spirit of fear. This is the greatest assurance we could possibly have. That God in Christ is now working in us and through us. No longer do we have to face a fearful situation alone, for He is there and He's always working out those weaknesses through His sanctifying work. I am far less fearful of things today than I was when I was first saved. Thanks to the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. I trust more. My faith is stronger. My hope is secure. That's what the sanctifying work of Christ does. Now, of the three distinct promises, this is the one that brings me the most solace facing a fearful situation, and I'll tell you why. To know that the God of the universe, who fashioned all creation and is all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-present, is going to help me in my little troubles. Demonstrate not only his faithfulness, but his unmeasurable love for you. God so desires to help his children. He so desires to help you in trouble. God so desires to help you when you are fearful. And when you experience those times, Remember the words of the psalmist when he says, Oh, hear, O oh Lord, have mercy upon me. Lord, be thou my helper.
the third promise. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. The third promise provided in our text is that he will uphold you in his righteous right hand. What does that phrase mean? First, he will uphold you means he will lift you up. He will sustain you. He will hold you. He will strengthen you. He will keep you because you are in his grasp. One of Pastor David, I know a lot of you don't know him, but Pastor David was uh, the first pastor that I was under, mentor, and he's a spiritual father to me. He would always uh, end his emails in, stay in his grip. Stay in his grip. And he would say this oftentimes because we forget whose hands we really are in. We forget that we are in the palm of God's hand and that he will keep you no matter what. And how will he do this? He will do this with his righteous right hand. Throughout God's word, God's right hand is used to describe his strength, his power, his blessings, his creation, his authority, his sovereignty, his justice, and his honor. For Christ now sits at the right hand of the Father. You know, when I think of God's right hand, I think of the many times that my son and my daughter, when they were just little kids, and now my grandson, would hold my hand whenever they felt insecure, unsure, or frightened. I could always tell when they felt that way, for I could feel that little hand slide into mine and then grip it really tight. You know, when I'm in a situation of fear, I can visualize my hand going to the Father's hand and holding it tight. And when God holds your little hand, the assurance of everything is going to be okay overwhelms you. Hold his hand. Hold his hand. And how does he hold our hand? He holds it with righteousness. In the context of this verse, righteousness means justice. God is the God of justice. In Deuteronomy, it says the rock, his work is perfect for all his ways are just. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. Unfortunately, we will deal with injustice in this world when circumstances and actions of others affect us. And they'll affect us in ways that are not right, they're not fair, and they're not just. It can cause us to become angry, frustrated, or to fear. But praise God. We have a just God who is always consistent, always truthful, always righteous, and able to judge every situation perfectly. No injustice escapes God. No schemes of man, no evil deed, no unjust action goes unnoticed by God. And we can take comfort that God is a God of justice and he will prevail. And he holds everybody accountable for every knee shall bow before the Lord. And that this promise also exists, that he works out good for those who love him. He works out those good for those who love him. Brothers and sisters, you may be facing a fearful situation that is unjust, not fair, 
not right. Rest assured, God is aware, God is working, and God will ensure justice. For the Lord loves justice, his word says. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. Brothers and sisters, we will face times of fear in our life. And fear will enter into our heart at times. And as a result, we can feel alone, cause us to feel weak physically and spiritually, and make us feel helpless. When this happens, I hope you take refuge and solace in God's exhortation and the promises that are included in today's text and remove the spirit of fear by standing on His Word and putting your full trust in Him. I'm not just saying this as an encouragement to you. This verse, this sermon, came out of a situation that occurred to me two weeks ago where I faced a fearful situation where the spirit of fear came upon me and absolutely debilitated me. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't eat. All I wanted to do was crawl up in a ball and just be forgotten. I felt alone. I felt weak. I felt like there was no hope. I have not felt like that in years. And it was self-induced. And I cried out to God. The night I couldn't sleep, every single time that feeling just kind of balled up, I would pray out God. I would pray out to God. God, please give me strength. Deliver me from this fear. Only God. Only God. Saturday was no better. I didn't eat anything until we went to the wedding. I was ill physically. Sunday, I thought... I turned the corner. I went to Martin and I preached the gospel. But as soon as we got done with Martin, we went out to eat and we were talking about farms and property. And all of a sudden, those feelings came back up. And I cried out to God. And this verse, these promises, these exhortations, I kept in my mind, I stood on this verse and other verses. And as Monday turned to Tuesday, and Tuesday turned to Wednesday, and Wednesday turned to Thursday, all of a sudden, the peace of God that surpasses all understanding started to seed in my heart. The fear was gone. The spirit of fear was gone. The attacks were gone. My circumstances haven't changed. But God changed me. This is why I'm sharing this with you. I, I, I wish I can express more how standing on this verse and holding those promises to your heart may not change your circumstances, but he's going to give you the strength to endure it. And guess what? I will help you. And he is. He is. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold you up with my righteous right hand. Stand on that. Stand on that. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word.
I thank you for your word and it builds up our faith, our strength. I thank you that it brings peace. I thank you that it brings comfort. I thank you, Father God, that you wrote it just for us. Father God, I pray that if there's anybody dealing with the spirit of fear this morning in this church, that you would deliver them by your spirit, by giving them the spirit of peace that surpasses all understanding. And that they would, Father, hold true to the promises and exhortations that you've given us this morning. And so, Father, I just pray that you would guard them, surround them, hold them, hold on to their little hand, Lord, and let them know that it will be okay. Father, we just thank you that we could come before you and worship you in spirit and truth and to read your word. Build us up now in your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please stand with us.